Welcome to Workforce Inside, the podcast for business leaders looking for fresh insights and solutions to today's most pressing workforce challenges. I'm your host, Bhushan Sethi, Joint Global People and Organization Leader at PwC. In each episode, you'll receive new ideas from experienced practitioners who are helping employers drive workforce transformation. In this episode, we'll discuss the extended workforce, specifically those non-employees, the service providers, and the gig workers that are working in a number of different companies. The pandemic has highlighted workforce preferences have changed potentially forever, meaning an increase in the size of the gig economy, and employers are increasingly able to tap into different types of talent to meet new skill requirements and also manage the cost flexibility of their businesses. In today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by my partner, Mike Burrow. Hi, Mike. Hello, Bashan. How are you? Very well. Really looking forward to getting into this topic with you. But first things first, Mike, what skill set have you acquired during the pandemic? During the pandemic, I have become a Lego miner builder. Not quite a master builder, but over the past 15 years, I would buy Lego sets and just put them in my basement. And pandemic has given me the time and the discipline to build the Batcave, Harry Potter's castle, the Death Star. Right now, I'm on the Roman Colosseum. And what I find it does is it allows me to take a break and focus on something without any importance, but give me a lot of joy. So it's actually been a good skill to enjoy and learn over the pandemic. How very creative of you. That's an incredibly effective problem-solving skill probably helps with some of the well-being as well. Thanks for sharing that, Mike. So Mike, as we think about the extended workforce at different businesses today, here we are in the middle of 2021. We've seen a lot of people now working from home for the best part of 18 months. We've seen a lot of businesses use different forms of non-employees, whether they be big service providers globally, whether they be gig economy or contract workers. How would you frame this topic now in terms of the priorities you're seeing for businesses that you work with? We see the non-employee workers. It allows companies to tap a resource that they might not need full-time or not be able to get full-time. And right now where there's a labor shortage, the ability to get talent on demand with a specific skill set is even more important than it's ever been. So I think the importance of non-employee workers is becoming even more so right now than it's ever been. Contingent workers have been used in many companies in areas like facilities and seasonal workers before. You want to talk a little bit more about some of the knowledge work, contingent workers that we've seen, the, the professionalization of some of this contingent workforce. Yeah, and Bhushan, you're correct. Contingent workers have been used throughout the past 30 years. And the tasks that have been given to contingent workers have become more and more sophisticated over the years. So it used to be the copy machines and the cafeterias. And now it can be data analytics. It can be specific skills with implementing new systems. It can be entire functions, such as your HR function. And the idea is that a company looks at something and typically they decide if it's key to them, then they try to do it with employees as long as they have the resources. If they don't have the resources, then gig might be something that makes sense. Or if it's not key to them and they can do it more cost effectively with non-employees, it's a perfect opportunity to venture into that space. So looking at 
skills, the importance of those skills for a company's strategy, and then looking at the cost equation. As we think about worker preferences, Mike, we alluded to this in our intro. A lot of people have been disconnected from their employees. Many people who've been working from home may feel the same way as gig workers. I mean, I've heard that sentiment from a number of people. Where do we see this going in the future? Do we see more non-employees? Is this different in different businesses or different types of skills? I think the future is a little uncertain right now. We have seen an acceleration to non-employee workers and in the past, and it's been catering to different people's mindsets. Uh, the tradition, someone like myself, who's been at PwC for 27 years, a gig worker is not something that I would like to do. But with different generations, the idea of doing different tasks for different companies is more appealing. And I think what the pandemic has shown is to individuals, it has a certain appeal they may have not thought about. And then secondly, I think employers are realizing that they can work with non-traditional workers in ways they hadn't thought of before. So if anything, I think it's going to accelerate this trend, but that depends on what happens in the future. What do we see some of the challenges right now when companies are working with their non-employees? The challenge is it's a, a famous perspective. It's where you sit is how you see it. And because with the gig worker, you have the spend analysis from procurement. So the cost is how am I spending? How am I keeping track of it? You have the risk analysis, which is both from legal and it's from IT. It's how do I know who my non-workers are? How do I make sure they have right access to the correct systems? How do I make sure they don't become my employees? From HR, the issue is what's my total workforce? How do I understand what it takes to get the product moving in the market? And how do I account from that? And then from the business, the perspective is What's the best way to get this done cost-effectively and most in line with our guiding principles? So again, one of the issues with gig is each part of a company has a different perspective that they're trying to bring in. Yeah, and I think what's interesting in what you described there in some of the governance and the data challenges is the amount of different stakeholders that are involved. You've got businesses, you've got heavy users like technology functions, you've got procurement who are going to be negotiating contracts with different service providers, and you've got HR who are trying to understand the total workforce, whether it's contingent or not, to say, how do we actually flex and plan for the future? I mean, one of the other challenges I would just throw in there is the contingent workers themselves. How do they feel part of a team? We've seen with the onslaught of offshoring um, and outsourcing heavily in the 90s and 2000s, we saw that there was lots of collaboration challenges and it forced companies to actually bring work back and insource work because of some of the challenges around collaboration. I'm seeing less of those issues now and we'll probably see less of those issues if we're working more fully remote or hybrid. But any thoughts from the contingent workers themselves? Just as we have variety of perspectives in the company, we have a variety of perspectives, contingent workers. So you have someone who is an independent contractor. They have a very different perspective of environment and part of a culture than someone who's part of another organization. And so it's understanding 
what each worker is, their environment, and then how they fit into the company's overall culture and purpose. And what you'll see is you'll see sometimes a real conflict between what the business and HR might want to bringing all the workforce together and then what legal may want to make sure that you keep your non-employees distinguishable from your employees. And it's that conflict of trying to make sure you have the right balance that I think is so important. I do think that the idea of not being all together in one location has really demonstrated the ability to use contingent workers, but I think it's also probably shown with organize some of the problems and training and stuff like that. And so, Mike, if we think about the future and one of our financial services surveys from 2021 actually highlighted some financial institutions were using up to 40% of contingent workers. Many of them thought that that would grow over the next three to five years. And you mentioned the governance challenges, the data challenges. Firms don't often look at this from a position of strength. What are we advising clients from all of the systems and the governance, the data perspectives on how to get on the front foot, how to anticipate different scenarios around the contingent workforce? A couple of things. One is you do need some person in the organization in charge of contingent workers. Again, because of the multi-dimensional approach, it just can't be one factor that takes the sole charge, but you do need someone who it sits with and then gets input from the other areas. The second thing, though, is you really need knowledge and awareness. What we have discovered, and this goes back, oh, maybe five years ago when I was working with a company, and I talked to the CFO and she said, we have 7,000 employees. And I'm like, no, you have closer to 12,000. And the reason was, is they had 5,000 temps who had been there anywhere from two months to 20 years. And so the whole awareness of who your contingent workers are, I think is a key essential to being able to manage the workforce and also minimize risk. So having clear accountability for who's driving a contingent workforce program, really putting your arms around the data, making sure that data is credible, as businesses engage with this, as HR practitioners engage with this and different stakeholders in organizations, how are we seeing some of the good practices on how do you institutionalize this in a company? This is important stuff, not just from a legal and compliance perspective, but actually to run your business. I think to get people on board, it's a combination of the carrot and the stick. So the showing the advantages of using contingent workers and then having a system that brings them on quickly so that the onboarding time is minimal, all that sort of stuff makes it, hey, this is a workforce we can tap and we're making it available to you in a way that's accessible. The second side, which we see is also the stick side, is not paying invoices unless someone goes through your vendor management system all sorts of different limits with technology, not giving access until the person is properly vetted. So that you use the combination of making it easier for the business person to get the resource, but at the same point, making it the only way to effectively engage that resource. To run this effectively, it needs good data and a lot of discipline. And I like your points on performance management, giving people the power of data in the business to say, who do I use for what skills and for what cost requirements is also going to be critical going forward. So Mike, we've talked about the benefits of this. We've talked about how worker preferences have aligned with a growth in the gig economy. 
we've actually seen a desire in one of our global hopes and fears surveys for more people wanting to take on entrepreneurial responsibility. And that could mean more gig workers in the future. However, there are some unintended consequences here. We've also seen companies not having the right governance in place and hiring people that maybe were not credentialed in their areas because they didn't do the right background checks or hiring service providers that didn't have the appropriate people with the right ethics and introducing all kinds of security and risk. Do you want to share some of your insights on what firms can be doing to get ahead of some of those contingent workforce risks? I think it's two ways. One is you need to work with vendors, whether it be independent contractors or large professional services companies that have procedures and ethics in place for themselves. So what you want to do as a business is make sure that you put requirements on your service providers to meet your standards, and then you monitor those standards. A second thing I think is you need awareness of who you're bringing in. So let's say you had an employee who quit and let's say that person quit and there was some ethics issues. Do you want to bring that person back? How are you going to make sure if that person comes back, you're aware of who they were? So this idea of one true source of data, identifying players and getting their total picture is something that's really important. One of the trends that we've seen change is five years ago, you would have your gig workforce on one side and your employees on another. Now what we've been seeing, at least I've been seeing it in tech companies a lot and also entertainment companies, is that you have one HCM where all your workers go in so that you have a total view of your workforce. What that allows you to do is really understand who the person is, what they're doing, and what they have been doing. You need to really balance the legal risks with that, but it's been a huge trend to say, hey, this is my total workforce and I'm bringing them in my HCM. Bushan, is that true with other industries as well? I think the challenges of understanding who does what, where across an entire footprint of an organization, employees and non-employees, has been a challenge for companies. Like you said, having one system of record with multiple feeds in from other systems, including credentials and background checks, is going to be critical going forward. So firms have to have the power of data and able to visualize decisions on business models and how they impact their employees and their non-employees. Mike, as we look to wrap up, what are the three top actions that you would suggest to business leaders as they think about their own contingent workforce strategy? Three things. One, who owns it? Two is, do you really know the size of your contingent workers? Is there awareness of it? And then the third thing is, what is the technology solution you're using to help manage that? And so it's kind of like a who, what, and how, I think are the key things when you're dealing with contingent workers right now. Thanks, Mike. We've managed to kind of talk about the non-employees to look forward to understand changing business models, maybe changing regulation and changing worker preferences. That's all really highlighted. This is not going away as a topic. It's only going to grow in certain industries. So the pieces that you mentioned around really need to clarify accountabilities, good governance, good data to actually visualize some of these business decisions are so critical. So thank you, Mike. Thank you for taking the time to share your insights with us today. It's been really interesting to understand this topic that would be seen as technical on the surface, really has so many tentacles to different parts of businesses and different topics from compliance to regulation to future workforce preferences and locations. 
And thank you listeners for tuning in to this episode of Workforce Inside. Please visit our website for more insights on how to tackle your organization's workforce challenges. And please subscribe to this podcast. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.